MSW Media. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hey everyone, welcome to Clean Up on Aisle 45. It is Wednesday, April 6th. This is episode 64. I'm your co-host, Allison Gill. With me as always, real-life lawyer, dungeon master, Andrew Torres. <laughs> I don't think that I'm the master. <laughs> You're but the highest-ranking lawyer down there. There so. you go. <laughs> that's, that's right. Uh, hi, everybody. Before we get started, as always, we want to give a shout-out to our new patrons. So big thanks to... Basil, ba like a sheep, and there is no Dana, only Zool. Oh, that's that's nice. one name, but that's that's pretty impressive. To Mitch, to Elizabeth Goodman, Matt Becker, Karen Chun, and Park Ranger about to drive 2,500 miles to marry best friend and need help with gas. You're all lovely. Venmo IK Wedding. I, I have to say Park Ranger has been hitting all of our shows lately, so I uh, hope uh, that uh, enough people... You know, send them a couple of bucks for gas that this yeah. works out. So, ass, gas, or grass, but gas. There you mostly. go. <laughs> then, at IK but mostly, wedding. mostly gas. <laughs> mostly gas. <laughs> and thank you to Mickey Moore, Jeff Webb, Keith Jeffrey, Paul C. Lustgarten, Clarence Johnson, Mark uh, Marcus Kotz, and David Big. And if you'd like to join the team, head over to patreon.com slash aisle45pod, A-I-S-L-E, 45-P-O-D. Sign up for as little as a buck an episode. You help keep us off Spotify. We love your face. And now, on with the show. Absolutely. And what a cool week uh, <laughs> for justice and just for me personally. <laughs> because, you know, I've been taking heaps loads shovelfuls of shit on twitter and social media for for being a hopium peddler and a, a flying hope monkey wrangler and a <laughs> and a doj will never prosecute you're stupid i get that all the time and you know garland is a fed soch guy and i that that's my personal favorite we've talked about that one on the air but mm. uh yeah and, anyway, uh, not to not to interrupt a, an amazing rant that needs to keep going. <laughs> no, yeah, and I always have my three pictures in my pocket of uh, Elena Kagan's uh, Sotomayor and Breyer's profiles on the Federal Federal Society's website, just like in the pocket, so oh. I can share. Be like, oh, these two. Um, anyway, just a, just a chef's kiss there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just I. It's been it's been a hard it's been a hard road. I had very big public blue check accounts going after me by name, uh, and uh, it, it it made my life a living hell for for quite a bit. And then, 
as if the skies opened up uh, two months late. But if the skies opened, <laughs> if the skies opened up, angels descended. Like it's crepuscular rays coming down the whole bit. New York Times drops it, but well, Washington Post came out first. Yep. Right, and they said, "Hey, we found out that they're looking at the rally organizers. The Department of Justice has issued subpoenas for rally organizers at a grand jury that's been up and running at the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office or in D.C. for two months." And uh, and then New York Times comes in with their bombshell. What additional information did New York Times give us? So. This has made quite a splash. It 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 I think um, wound up looking like a uh, at least daylight between you and I, <laughs> um, as somebody who has uh, been equally bashed as uh, you know, sort of having too much faith in Merrick Garland. Here's what the article is entitled. It says Garland faces growing pressure as January sixth investigation widens. Oh, and so, this is this is actually came out after the initial New York Times. Oh, report. oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, you want to cover that one first? I'm sorry. Sure, sure. Which, by the way, has Mike Schmidt on it too. Yep. Fucking yep. guy. <laughs> uh, and so th- that New York Times report said, yeah, Washington Post is right. They're looking at the rally organizers and not just the one right. six rally, but the, the other stop the steal rallies because they, they need to all be looked at and the organizers and, and funders of those rallies. But also uh, they were looking at the pressure, the Pence pressure campaign, the false slates of electors. Yep. And, and in fact, the New York Times laid eyes on a grand jury subpoena that asked for information on on executive and legislative branch members close to Trump. And we have Garland's public statements, right, that he is investigating everyone as far up as the chain goes with responsibility, with uh, no favoritism, no disfavoritism one way or the other. So, you know, those are all, I think, very, very good signs. Yeah. And Um, and I think there was uh, one more thing to anyone. They were looking for any information on anyone who impeded or attempted to impede. The, the electoral count, the, the official proceeding yep. on, on January 6th. So very, very important uh, reporting. And again, I can't say it enough that it's also Marcy Wheeler pointed this out, by the way. It took a year to break into Enrique Tarrio's phone. <laughs> it took yep. a year. And that is kind of what had been maybe putting all this on hold, because right after, as soon as they got into that phone... They open this grand jury, and then March eighth, bam! They arrest him. They they raid uh, others' homes, and and said that we will have more indictments and potentially more charges coming by May twentieth uh, on this. Uh, so here and and here we are, and that was right around the time that Merrick Garland made his speech on January fifth, like you said. Yep. And uh, right around the time, I was like, you know what? They've got to be. They've got to be looking into this. And it, as it turns out, that they they are. <laughs> <laughs> they they are. Now, let me give a little bit of voice to the other side, right? And again, not the Merrick Garland is a secret member of the Federalist Society crap, but I think rank and file folks on the left who went out and supported Joe Biden in 2020, despite the fact that he was maybe their 11th favorite candidate. And one of the big reasons for thinking so was the idea that you know, like the name of this show suggests, we're going to hold the last guy accountable, right? Now, step one for holding Donald Trump accountable is, of course, getting Donald Trump out of office. So, you know, mission accomplished. Let's unfurl the banner uh, because we know what happened when Donald Trump was in office, right? He brought in Bill Barr. He brought in people who would obstruct 
up until the level that they were comfortable with obstructing, right? We we learned when we discussed uh, the filings in connection with the John Eastman privilege request that, you know, some folks allowed into the White House had no boundaries like John Eastman. Other folks, you know, had boundaries, right? Mike Pence's entire crew was like, yeah, look, like, We've been here while you have looted the public treasury and debased the institution of the presidency of the United States. But, you know, we're not going to let you install Jeff Rosen and pretend like uh, the election was stolen. Or That's Jeffrey not going to happen. Jeff, uh, Clark. Jeff Clark, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, you, and, you'll be presiding over a graveyard. Yeah, exactly right. You know, so, you know, there were... That there were limits, uh, there were limits to what Bill Barr was willing to do, right? Uh, on on the plus side of his ledger, right? Didn't find anything morally suspicious about deleting the word "not" from a purported summary of the Mueller report, uh, but you know, that even then, could only be pushed so far. But now, so to wrap all that up, uh, I think, folks, I I think there is, and I'm curious your 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 sort of top level thoughts on this. The average person who listens to our show who says, A.G., Andrew, I'm, I'm with you. I've heard this, right? <laughs> I've heard you say the wheels of justice churn slowly. Uh, they've heard us make the point, and, and, and I, I want to reemphasize that, that you don't want to headlong charge into charging the president, particularly charging the ex-president with a crime, and screw that up. Right. Like the, the only thing that would be worse for Trumpers than Donald Trump never being charged would be Donald Trump. Chump. That's excellent. That great portmanteau <laughs> would be Donald Trump being charged and then acquitted. Mm -hmm. Right. I did that. I Could you imagine? Um, I mean, you know, that would that would probably persuade another 10 million people. I don't know that the election was stolen. Right. Because people don't understand burden of proof and you know guilty beyond a reasonable doubt like that they, they would just be like oh look like donald trump won in court uh guess guess that means democrats were wrong all along so so there's a high level of risk but but isn't there a justifiable frustration you're one of our show listeners it's 2022 yeah it, it's april of 2022 you know where where is everybody <laughs> Yeah, and it did take longer than and then probably the DOJ wanted. Uh, I imagine if they had cracked into Tario's phone early on, we would be in, in a very different place uh, than we are. And of course, I think that's right. But but and I'm, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I again I want to push the devil's advocacy here, right? Like you're still arguing a counterfactual, like well, you know, we could have, and there's a reason why they're moving slowly. I'm super, I'm, you know, I'm playing super skeptical listener here. Come on, they're not. Uh, we're we're gonna get down to it. It's gonna be the end of the day, and everything is gonna be just like you know when Cy Vance bailed in New York, and you know the prosecutors are, uh, you know as, uh, <laughs> as you know Lawrence Lessig said on our show, chicken shit, and they're not gonna bring any of these cases. They're too afraid of losing, and you know we're just gonna be stuck, and then Trump's gonna get reelected in twenty twenty four. And, uh, you know, we're, we're never going to hold anybody accountable. That's that's the the grumbling narrative. Right. Yeah. And, and I don't. The, I don't the, I don't see a problem with those concerns because he my my only thing was that they're going to investigate, not that they're going to prosecute. Right. That's that's mm -hmm. what I wanted. I wanted the investigation. I, I, I don't know whether 
we get down to the very last man, as you said, and and with what sort of prosecute prosecutorial discretion Garland or the D.C. U.S. attorney uses as to whether or not to bring charges against Donald Trump himself. Uh, I would be very upset if they chose not to for any other reason uh, other than that, they you know, if they have the evidence, you know what I mean? If they if they mm-hmm. can uh, um, obtain and maintain uh, and sustain a, a conviction and they have the evidence that they need to charge and they decide not to do it for other reasons like the p- potential political backlash or et cetera, et cetera, that I'll be pissed and that will be a mistake. And I will yeah. call it that. Uh, I, and I don't pretend to know whether whether they will uh, or not. Um, I don't think Merrick Garland is corrupt. No, uh, I don't think if he decide if he declined to prosecute, it would be for corrupt reasons. Well, but- Ed, okay, so let me and, and I agree with you. I mean, you just heard me say that, but let me stay. I'm not doing a great job of staying in character with Devil's Advocate here. <laughs> um, how do you know Merrick Garland isn't corrupt? Or, or and again, no is a you know I don't mean with epistemological certainty. I mean you know what 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 is the basis for your opinion that Merrick Garland? isn't just a corrupt institutionalist and he's never going to hold, you know, Trump accountable. And yeah, he says some words in public, but, you know. uh, His record in both prosecuting uh, and judging. So, I mean, just (laughs) his record. Uh, That's all. That's what I have to go by. Uh, And, and, you know, the feeling, you know, just a feeling that the guy's not corrupt. And and I don't and I don't think that about everyone in these positions of power. I'm not sure what's going on with Alvin Bragg, for for example. And I don't put corruption past that uh, or put him past corruption. I, I, I don't I don't know. Uh, I'm very concerned about that. But I wouldn't I wouldn't put that on Garland just based on his on his record of prosecuting and otherwise and and his as a judge but you know i i i do understand that it is frustrating that it's taking so long and and i have been saying for a very long time especially when i've been talking with Pete Struck like what what do you want to see done differently he's like you don't tell me there's an investigation just tell me what resources you're putting on it Tell me mm. how urgent it is. And the fact that it took a year to crack into a phone and you're the fucking FBI. I don't understand <laughs> that. I want information on why that took so long. And yeah. if there's obstruction involved or, or do, do you know what I'm getting at? Like, OK, it, it took a year and that's what delayed it. Why did it take a year? And, and, and are you still trying to get into other people's devices? And if you get some burner phones from from Mark Meadows, how long is it going to take you to break into those? You know, that's that's where my concern lies. And that's where I uh, understand people's frustrations. Um, but but I, for me, it's a little more nuanced than just, you know, Merrick Garland sucks. And uh, <laughs> he like he's sitting around smoking bowls instead of doing work, you know, and and also he's not the guy investigating. This is all on the D.C. U.S. attorney and the D.C. U.S. attorney then go on these high profile cases i'm sure goes to garland and says here's what i'm doing and garland says all right and or you know or says no and if garland says no to something like the way we saw alvin bragg say no to pomerantz and done i think we would see resignations I, I, i you make two excellent points right there that just cannot be stressed enough as we go through this sort of discussion and figuring out how to hold Garland accountable, right? And 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 you just made them, right? So n- number one, uh, this is being run out of the D.C. office, which you know has a little bit of issues involving uh, trying to corral resources for you know nearly a thousand one six cases on top of everything else, right? Uh, but uh, a- a- as you point out, uh, that that 
to surmise that Merrick Garland is doing a Bill Barr, right? That <laughs> doing it, a Bill Barr. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 huh? Right. I mean, look, we saw that with Michael Flynn, right? That was all of a sudden, uh, that's what it would look like when that's what we don't I don't have to say that in the subjunctive that's what it looks like when a corrupt attorney general interferes with line prosecutors in a politically motivated case you see a couple of things happening number one you see the line prosecutors resign number two you see inconsistent filings number three you see the judge asking questions Number four, you see a record in the pleadings. Mm-hmm. And number five, those prosecutors that have left then frequently speak to the public about why they've left, right? Yeah. And, the and fact so that then, we and see then also none of that. a yeah. devil's advocate might say, well, what makes you think that it's a math, Matt Graves over at DC? Because mm-hmm. uh, Damian Williams is in Southern District, right? So they would say, well, what makes you so sure that, that uh, Graves is going to do the right thing? And there's one glaring clue for me that indicates mm. that he's going to do the right thing, and that is that he brought seditious conspiracy charges. I, and and that, first of all, takes balls. You and I have been saying they're yep. not going to go for seditious conspiracy. It's way too hard to prove. They're going to go for obstructing official proceeding. It carries the same sentence, max sentence, uh, and it's a lot easier to prove, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, they brought that, and they brought the official you know, 1512C2, and then... They, they they brought seditious conspiracy charges, and I think they're going to do it in the Tario case as well and wrap some more people up in it, and as well as his other five co-conspirators. So when you, know, when you, when you ask me, will the D.C. U.S. attorney do the right thing, that to me is the biggest clue that, that he's, he's willing to go balls to the wall, honestly. <laughs> I, I agree with that. I would add something, and I shared this on our show uh, because I got multiple messages I have uh, friends, colleagues who are present uh, day attorneys over at DOJ. Uh, certainly, I know, uh, you know, a dozen folks who are, uh, you know, former AUSAs and the like. Um, it's a, it's an it's often an important, you know, kind of stepping stone in going into high profile public practice. Uh, I got three separate text messages on uh, between uh, January 6th and January 7th from inside the DOJ that all basically said the same thing. And they all said, everybody I know is calling the DC office and saying, how can I help? Right. That, that, and, and that look, these are career prosecutors, right? That was the sense on January 6th. It has to still be the sense within the greater department of justice, right? These are folks who have dedicated themselves to the law, uh, you know, Democrat or Republican. These are folks who have stuck around, who were doing the hard work and they were pissed. They are pissed. And I, I think that, uh, you know, my the point that I hold on to uh, in terms of. Trying to figure out what's going on behind the curtain, right, mm-hmm. because the problem is there's a black box, right? We don't see the, the internal discussions and we shouldn't see them. Right. And you and you do actually have to have what's in Enrique Tarrio's phone before you even start going after anyone up above him. Yeah. Which means you have to get into his phone if you're going to go after Trump. And so because, you know, chain yeah. command goes <laughs> goes up. That's how it goes up. And, and especially if you're trying to prove, which they've mentioned now in five separate court filings, the Department of Justice, that Trump's tweet led to 
the violent attack on the Capitol led to this, you know, the stand back and stand by and the uh, and it's going to will be wild. And, you know, that's when that within hours, uh, that's when the, the violence started to be planned and they tie it in and they don't the DOJ doesn't have to mention Trump's tweet to get to get the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. Yeah, that's so that's a, a, a big indicator for, for me and 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 we'll see where it goes i wish it didn't i wish it wasn't taking so long because you know the doj has that policy that they they don't indict anybody within 60 days of an election yeah and so i i this might we might not see indictments till after the, the midterms and then of course there's a million ways that the that a that a republican congress can muck up gum up the works over at department of justice i i'm not going to talk about any of those ways because they're dumb and i don't want to give them ideas but yeah. uh but it's it's you know, it they ultimately cannot stop a Department of Justice investigation. Uh, but we'll, you know, we'll see what happens because most of those things go to Maine Justice, and this is out of D.C. So we'll, you know, we'll we'll definitely see what happens. But then, but then, God damn it, New York Times. <laughs> you, That's a great, great segue. Yeah. So you know, let's kind of <laughs> wrap that wrap that last one uh, in it all, all together. I I think I would summarize it this way. In order to believe that there is a conspiracy to protect Trump at the DOJ right now, you must believe a number of things, right? But 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 chief among them is you must believe that either the day-to-day line prosecutors, AUSAs, the folks that do the heavy lifting, either have been gaslit and no longer give a shit about 1-6, which I think... No, like if that's the case, right, then, you know, you're you were you were presupposing we're getting to like faking yeah, the pack, moon landing. Pack my bags. Uh, yeah. I'm moving to New Zealand. Right. I mean, that that is <laughs> thousands of people, hundreds to over a thousand people are just lying in public that that strains a lot of credulity. <laughs> Yeah. And that, you know, for for some of the folks out there that are making connections with Grolic and Garland and all these past, you know, people that he's associated with or whatever, that that somehow Garland is is going to stop any of this. If Garland does and the entirety of the DOJ is cool with that, that's what you have to believe. You would have to believe that 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 is what would go down. That the Department of Justice, nobody really wants to prosecute one six. Nobody wants to hold anybody accountable of the thousands of line prosecutors. And Garland is somehow corrupt. And that, you know, because he's not even the one investigating. He's not. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> as you alluded to, on Saturday, <laughs> the New York Times uh, dumped out this article, <laughs> uh, which I tried to jump the gun on, which says Garland faces growing pressure as January 6th investigation widens again. Uh, also, the, the byline is Katie Benner, Katie Rogers, and Michael Schmidt. Uh, same dude on the article from a couple of days previously. And uh, this, so I will point out that uh, while it quotes one uh, member of Congress, uh, the article contains the disclaimer that it says, this article is based on interviews with more than a dozen people including officials in the Biden administration and people with knowledge of the president's thinking, all of whom asked for anonymity to discuss private conversations. Okay. So taken at its word, this is uh, more than a dozen people who have been willing to speak to the times off the record, who are essentially 
raising questions about the pace of uh, DOJ and uh, in terms of leading to uh, indictments for, let's face it, people we care about, right? Uh, people higher up the chain, people with a closer connection to Donald Trump than, you know, Stuart Rhodes and his band of G.I. Joe wannabes. I I did take this as uh, indicating probably a level of frustration from folks high up in the Biden administration. Um, Good. Cool. <laughs> cool. It also shows me that Biden doesn't know the details of the investigation. And that's good. That's yeah, a well, very good thing. <laughs> and and the article takes pains to note that. I mean, like, this is, as a lawyer, you read this article, and when you read a sentence like, and while the president has never communicated his frustrations directly to Mr. Garland, right, that would be tampering with an ongoing investigation. Like, you could just picture that sentence making its way into an article written by non-lawyers because time and time again, Biden staffers must have said to these reporters, hey, hey, I, I just want to be clear here. You know, my boss, Joe Biden, the president, has never said anything to Merrick Garland about, hey, buddy, why don't you, you know, pick up the pace here or something like that. Like, right. like as soon as I read that, I'm like, oh, that that's something that was said not just by one person, but multiple times right yeah, like put it's, this it's, in your article please yes and you you and i do you know you and i have both spoken to enough you know reporters preparing stories that you know it is it is easy you know you you get interviewed for an hour for you know a sentence and a half that shows up in the paper so you know it it, it to to have that kind of effect you have to deliberately give that out as an instruction so. Yep. Yeah. And and then, of course, I saw Schmidt on Deadline White House today. Claire McCaskill was bashing Garland. Schmidt was sitting in the middle. That's Dan such a weird flex for her. But anyway, <laughs> I know it's like she missed the other reporting. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Uh, but it's I like Grandma Claire. I, I, I love I, her to death. <laughs> and and, and I, I agree with her when she said, hey, if if Merrick Garland fails to investigate, he's the worst A.G., you know, if he doesn't look into this, if he doesn't look at, at the one six, if he doesn't investigate Trump, um, that he'll go down as the worst AG in history. And 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 I'm like, OK, yeah, that would be a very, very bad mistake. I'm, I'm with you on that, which is, you know, why I've been saying I just want him to investigate prosecutions. That's a whole other story. And that's up to them. And we can discuss that some other time. But Schmidt was sitting there talking about, you know, how can how can this be, you know, when how can the DOJ not be doing anything when, if, you know, the, this 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 judge in California said that Trump committed crimes? He failed to mention that it was in a in the in in a filing. And you and I talked about this. This is not this is this wasn't somebody going to the judge and saying, hey, judge, this wasn't the one six committee saying, hey, do you think Trump committed crimes? And the judge said, yeah, no, this was a hey, we need emails. And this is one of seven reasons we think you should hand over these emails is because of the crime fraud exception. And here's the crimes that that we have to lay out for for crime fraud exception that we think more likely than not he committed. And he just failed to mention all that. He just sort of made it sound like Carter came out when was just telling the one six committee that Trump committed <laughs> crimes. And, and it was just, it was a weird, it was a weird take. And I feel like there was a lot of information that uh, some of these folks on the panel didn't have. Now, Daniel Goldman, on the other hand, 
has now said, hey, wow. My celebrity uh, crush. Yeah, the D- Department of Justice is is doing their thing. Okay, cool. Why did it take so long? I don't know. And he, d- he doesn't know about the, the Tario phone cracking or it didn't come up. But, you know, it, it was... it So she had some different different points of view. But this article, then they had... Then they had... The way that they wrote this article is they'll say some sentence. And I'm like, <laughs> but what about these other six things? And then they'll mention the other six things later. They'll say, this comes amid the time when Biden has two of his children entangled in criminal investigations. And I'm like... I, that's such a weird way to put that. <laughs> I'm like, really? Are, is, is Ashley Biden tangled up in a uh, no. <laughs> investigation? Or is she the victim of a crime? Um, no. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's a that's a that is a crazy, dare I say, like almost Infowars esque way of putting it, right? Like, as you point out, the investigation in in into Ashley Biden, and again, we have every reason to believe that there are appropriate walls and safeguards, right? That that the that each of these investigations is segregated from the president. Um, The investigation. With respect to Ashley Biden is whether she was a victim of a Trump political operation, right? <laughs> like she is a potential victim, not not a potential, you know, target. But I, it, it, that was, I agree with you that that was uh, maddening uh, that that particular construction. So, <laughs> and they did go on later to explain <laughs> how Ashley, what was going on with Ashley and Project Veritas and her diary and it being passed yeah. around. But I was like, really, you're going to open with that sentence? I, I, this article made me angry. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, like, how I, is this news that that Biden in a meeting with a couple of aides said, damn it, I wish he would hurry up. He needs to prosecute Trump. Like, none of us haven't ever fucking said that. And, and then they're like, oh, he late last year, he was disgruntled with Garland, but didn't say anything in the public and didn't say anything to Garland. The end. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm with you on not knowing. <laughs> Look, like, and and again, I, I I think what I would the 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 way I would sort of wrap up this New York Times article, which I I, I share your your frustrations. It then goes into sort of the history. This feels like, you know, digging out a bunch of articles that you <laughs> you started writing but then filed away. It goes back into the history of the selection process, right? Which we know very publicly they the, the the incoming Biden transition team is pretty transparent about uh either it's going to be Doug Jones or it's going to be Merrick Garland right and I, and it wound up being Garland and the time says in the end Biden went with Garland who had a reputation for being even-handed and independent and i guess that's for me and i'm curious if you have some some sort of final thoughts on this it, it takes that full circle back to your statement at the beginning, right? Like it, it, it is impossible to believe, or it is at least should cause you some cognitive dissonance to think that the problem with Merrick Garland, that, that, you know, if you're on the um, Merrick Garland is moving too slowly train and, you know, we gave voice to that. There are reasons for being that the reason for being on the Merrick Garland is moving too slowly train is because he is even handed and independent rather than, zealous and staying up, you know, putting in 20 hour days and uh, has, you know, getting Trump as sort of his primary objective. Right. Mm. Um, But at the same time, you cannot think, okay, well, he's being slowing down because he doesn't share the same view of prosecuting Trump that that I do. Uh, 
and then also think that he is operating as a Bill Barr-esque, you know, nefarious, uh, you know, interfering with all of these uh, ongoing investigations coming out of the D.C. office. Right. Like it, it just it, it you have to pick one. Right. Like <laughs> it, it's I'm thinking of the sketch, the uh, the great Phil Hartman sketch uh, on Saturday Night Live uh, where, where he played Reagan at the very end of the Reagan years. And, you know, he's got the like children sitting on his lap and, you know, and he's acting like Ronald Reagan. And the gag of the sketch was as soon as the cameras were gone, he shuttles them out of the room and, you know, then kind of yanks his tie down. And, you know, it's like, all right, everybody back up here <laughs> and is, you know, running everything. And uh, and the joke was, yeah, there's no way the Ronald Reagan was masterminding everything. Right, 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 right. And, right. Yeah. So. That's funny. Oh, yeah, I remember. I remember sketch. reading in Comey's book when he was like sitting in the office with George Bush and and, uh, and Ashcroft and Cheney, and he's like looking around the room like, "Holy shit, it's us! It's just us. We run the world. It's us. Fuck." <laughs> Jim, Jim, Jim Comey, I think needs to come out and say, "Hey, uh, everybody." You, uh, you get you get one free uh, uh, effort to kick me in the balls. That yes. one's on me. Right? <laughs> even just though one. he's really tall, maybe he'll yeah. provide a stool. Just, just 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 one. You get to come. Oh, you can punch if you're you know punch uh, up. vertically challenged like like I am. But yeah, uh, punch up. I think I think that would be fair punishment. That everywhere he goes when he meets <laughs> someone for the first time, they get one good kick in the jimmies anyway (laughs) that's my that's my thoughts on jim comey yeah hi jim he's probably a show listener hey jim hey jimmy jim are you a it's a buck a month dude pitch in yep uh you owe us um (laughs) all right well hey i you know at, at the at the behind the scenes here um, behind all this, uh, I'm very glad the Department of Justice is investigating up to the tippy top and, um, they haven't said Trump, right? Uh, but you know, this is as close as, as we've heard it, it's gotten and it's Trump's world. It's Trump's orbit. It's, it's exactly, it's, it's gotta be Meadows is in there. Yep. And, and, um, and look, we, we <laughs> there is both a check on Merrick Garland. We, and I know we're. We're about to throw to commercial, so I'm dropping a, a whole nother bombshell. But th- there is the work of the one six committee as well, right? Like we we have two bites at this apple, and and it is the one six committee that is charged with making the case to the public, right? Yeah, in a that's way that their the, job. DOJ is not, yeah, right. That's and, their job and, is to tell us the whole story. DOJ's yeah. job is to tell us none of the story and just drop indictments, and then we learn the story from the indictments. Exactly right. And and I, I, I don't know if you're on the 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 list of, um, you know, Jamie Raskin is probably taking it easy. Uh, then, uh, no. you know, you I'm sorry, you live in an alternate universe, pal. Like, yeah. Or if you think <laughs> they aren't aware of their time constraints, um, yeah. they most yeah. definitely are. Uh, and, and I will <clears throat> will say that when um, when the truth comes out, when we see it all in public hearings on television, that will, I think, put pressure on the Department of Justice um, because if w- without that, absent that, if we didn't have that, we'd be a lot less mad if Trump weren't prosecuted. You know what I mean? I I agree with that 100%. Well, I, I, I will leak something here. It's going to be a week from, from when this airs. Uh, so uh, this coming Tuesday's opening arguments, I've got uh, 
Uh, our buddy Randall Eliason is coming back on, who uh, is, uh, if anything, an even more stalwart defender of trust the process, trust Barrett Garland. Uh, and uh, and he wrote a Washington Post uh, op-ed over the weekend that uh, that the quoted <laughs> that quoted me and said, uh, you know, some lawyers have even said, you know, you could take uh, the uh, Judge Carter's findings and, uh, you know, dump them on a grand jury and get an indictment. But, you know, that's not how any of this works. So, um, yeah. So <laughs> Which is call true. Me up. <laughs> I guess. It's true. That was not what I was saying. But, you know, I was no, yeah, making and, a point about levels of burden of proof. But Yeah, um, that's that's what I was saying. And I know Glenn Kirshner put out a video about it, too. Like, this is this is higher than the threshold needed to indict someone. But yeah. you definitely... Uh, need to have all your ducks in a row to indict yep. somebody. Um, so yeah. more on this uh, uh, topic. I know you're going to be covering it on your show. Uh, we're going to have uh, more back and forth uh, over on my show. And uh, this, you know, it, it, it I, this is going to be the defining question. I, I like the way that, uh, that Claire McCaskill put it, right? Because this is the, the defining question, uh, you know, for, for better or worse of, of the Biden presidency. And um you know, I I sure hope we wind up on the right side of the rule of law. I remain optimistic. I've had I've had setbacks. I've had uh, bouts of optimism, but uh, you know, we'll continue to follow the story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm looking forward to that Randall Eliason interview on Tuesday on opening arguments. It's going to be good. Uh, all right, everybody, we'll be right back. We got more stuff. Uh, there's <laughs> we got more stuff. How's that for a segue? <laughs> Do you like it? I like it. Everybody, stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Francis Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of The Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay. Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. And we're back. And now I think it's time to talk about everyone's favorite contempt of court, contempty. I don't... I don't uh, I don't know what the uh, noun form is. Alex Jones, the legend himself. Um, what uh, <laughs> what's what's new in Alex? Jo- this is if you follow the docket as uh, as as AG and I do. Uh, I mean, it is amazing that the judge in this case uh, has dropped multiple rulings at like 11 o'clock at night on a Saturday. Uh, <laughs> this is somebody who has said, I am not moving the trial date. And uh, and by God, she has uh, stayed committed to uh, making sure that doesn't happen. What's what's new in Alex Jones world? Well, he faked being sick. Um, <laughs> his doctor said he couldn't appear for a Zoom deposition. Uh, he had to stay at home. But then they found out he was at a studio recording a show live. And she's like, all right, fuck you. That's dumb. And uh, basically find him twenty five thousand dollars a day uh, and, and not just twenty five thousand dollars a day but an increasing by $25,000 each day fine uh and and said that that'll all be wiped away you know if you show up for 2 days of deposition 
um, which is what he was supposed to do. But yeah, he's being fined $25,000 for the first day, $50,000 for the second day. I think he's up to $75,000 today and and tomorrow, which will be yesterday, if you're listening, uh, on Wednesday. <laughs> tomorrow is Wednesday yesterday. is next week. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that, and that week felt like five days spilling on into the fifth day, which felt like another week. Uh, I've got it written down somewhere. I'll show it to you. If you love me, just don't say anything. <laughs> You've made me very happy. Uh, all right. So anyway, so I think he's he'll be up to $150,000 here uh, by the time this show comes out. And and again, he won't have to pay that, right? He'll get his money back. Is that correct if he, if he shows up? Uh, so two important caveats on that, right? You, in civil contempt, you purge that contempt when you stop doing the thing that the court tells you to stop doing, right? So with things like, you know, if you're shouting obscenities at the judge in the middle of the courtroom, you purge that contempt when you stop shouting the obscenities. Uh, you may still have to spend uh, some time in lockup in the court jail as a result of having done so. Um, when, when you have a situation like not showing up for a depot, the court's order makes this very clear. It says the contempt will be purged when Alex Jones sits for two full days of deposition testimony. Right. So he sits for a day, day and a half storms out that the, the fines continue and they will continue to run until April 15th. Uh, after April 15th, the court has said, OK, obviously money is not enough past that point. We will draw an adverse inference against you. And I'll speak to that in a minute. Prior to that, though, so 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 point one, once he completes his deposition, two full days of deposition, then he will have purged his contempt and will be eligible to petition the court to return some or all of the money that he has tendered over to it. That's the second point. We already have uh, two notices of compliance that have been filed, uh, one in connection with Friday, right, April 1, when he didn't sit for deposition and paid $25,000. One, in connection, as we are recording this on on Monday, didn't sit for a deposition on Monday either, so therefore had to tender $50,000. And uh, it, Alex Jones has made it very, very clear he's not going to show up until April 11th. Um, the fines get told. They don't, they don't incur on weekends and on days that Alex Jones actually sits for the depot. So under that, if you if you add up all of the escalation in fines, that's five hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. He will have to tender over to the court uh, and then and we'll might have not to, get it back. Yeah. And, and the court can say, yeah, we well, you've purged your contempt and we're going to refund four hundred thousand dollars of this to you. Right. Like that is perfectly within the court's discretion to do so. Right. Again. Usually, if the if the purpose of fines is to coerce somebody into attending, uh, usually the court, you know, once it works, says, all right, we'll, we'll give you your money back. Uh, but but they don't have to. That is within the discretion. And again, I, you know, I don't know about you, Allison. I, I would have a real difficult time writing a check to the court for five hundred and seventy five thousand dollars, even if I was promised that I was going to get a hundred cents on the dollar back. Right. Like this is, you know, this is uh, this has real teeth. And I'm proud of this in a way that, you know, we've talked about uh, various judges interacting with, you know, 
bad faith lawyers in an era of the Kraken. Uh, but but this is a judge who is well aware that Alex Jones is going to run home, get on Infowars and say, oh, we got a big sale on our, you know, T-shirts and supplements. And, you know, you're going to you're going to pay us money because we're going to have to pay the court and 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 will fundraise off of this has been fundraising off of this. So, you know, you have to figure out that like that balance of uh, of imposing an amount that um, that has real teeth. And she could send him to jail if she wanted to, could she not? Or is that grand jury? So here's a thing that's not clear, okay? When you skip a deposition, the court, this is a a common law thing. I had to look it up. It's called a capias, C-A-P-I-A-S. The plaintiffs requested that in their motion for sanctions. Um, They got uh, everything else, by the way. And in fact, um, the the, the plaintiffs (laughs) asked for, for less in monetary sanctions uh, than uh, Judge Bellis actually wound up awarding, right? The plaintiff said, we want $25,000 a day for the first week and $50,000 a day for the second week. And uh, Judge Judge Bellis was like, how about $25,000 a day increasing by $25,000 a day? And the plaintiffs were like, that'll do too, right? That's, that's also <laughs> oh, good. We're good with that. We're good with that. Yeah. Uh, so a capius is uh, an arrest warrant. The reason or in inferring uh, that that the reason that that was not awarded in this case was um, that this is uh, in state court in Connecticut. And it's unclear how a court order from a Connecticut state court to a non-Connecticut resident would be enforced. Right. Mm. The the plaintiff cited some law that basically said, yeah, no, uh, you can give that to us and we will take that down to Texas and uh, maybe o- open up a separate proceeding and that uh, Texas authorities would, under the full faith and credit clause, uh, enforce that order. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a weird it's a, it's a it's a weird question. And basically um, th- what the court said was, uh, I'm not going to stop you from going down to Texas uh, to pursue a KPS if, if that's what you want to do, plaintiff's lawyers. And Got again, it. I think they very wisely said, yeah, like they, <laughs> you and, have, and he's not, by the way, in his motions to stay here, he's not really helping himself <laughs> being seen in a good light and seeing how much money uh, he could get back after he purges his contempt. I mean, because... Talk talk a little bit about this motion to stay and what the judge had to say about it. Yeah, well, what the judge had to say was no, um, <laughs> uh, which uh, which I love. Um, yeah, the, <laughs> this was another one of these that uh, was was answered the the very same day, um, or or I, I guess the next day. So, okay, so let's set up the timeline here a little bit. On March thirtieth. Right. Wednesday, March 30th was when the court heard oral argument on the sanctions motion and issued its order. That same day, <laughs> Wednesday, March 30th, the Alex Jones filed a motion to reconsider and said, you know, this is punitive and it goes too far and it's crazy. And that night, this is what I was referring to. Uh, the court said uh, denied. Uh, the court said, yeah, it's punitive. That's the point of sanction. Yeah, that's exactly right. And there was this, <laughs> there's this stupid argument that Alex Jones 
keeps making that says, well, you know, if the plaintiffs uh, jerk me around like the way I've been jerking them around, they could, you know, make it last even longer. And then I would get hit with all these extra sanctions. And both the judge and plaintiff's counsel keep telling him that's not what the order says. The order says give them 24 hours notice and show up at their law offices in Connecticut and they have to take your depot. They've got to clear their, their, their dockets, right? They've got to uh, completely make that available and take your deposition that way on 24 hours notice. The plaintiffs understand this because they have responded in opposition and said, this idea that we get to decide when to hold his depot is crazy. He gets to decide. All he has to do is provide 24 hours notice and we have to take it. So, you know, really, uh, Alex, not not to help you out here, buddy, but like you could screw with us an awful lot. Right. <laughs> like, right. So. Uh, but in any event, uh, the 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 court later that evening uh, in a one paragraph order said, um, no, not going to do that. Um, the, the, the court has imposed twenty five thousand dollar per weekday fine commencing on Friday, April 1, increasing by $25,000 per weekday until you sit for two days at depositions and the fine is stayed on the days that you attend your deposition. That's it. Do it. Do what I told you to. So then the next day, <laughs> on Thursday, they moved to stay the case. Why did they move to stay the case? Because they're going to appeal to the Supreme Court. Now, you might, to the Connecticut Supreme Court. Now, I might be thinking in the middle of a case at the trial court level, how in the hell are you going to appeal all the way up to the Connecticut Supreme Court? And the answer is there is a, a, a specific uh, Connecticut uh, general statute 52-265A, uh, which says that in extraordinary circumstances that are of utmost public interest, where time is of the essence, you can take an emergency appeal to the Connecticut Supreme Court. I will tell you, there is not a shot in hell that the Connecticut Supreme Court uh, is going to think that this is an emergency because this is a perfectly straightforward application of the law. And uh, in the in no event, right, like literally everything about this is precisely the kind of thing that can be resolved on appeal, even if the court got it wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. we, we are talking about money from somebody who can afford to post it and or taking an adverse trial inference, right? Um, on a case that can be appealed up to the Connecticut appellate courts. There's not, there's, there's just no issue, right. Of, uh, you know, of, of legitimate, uh, reason to, to think that they're going to go to the Supreme court and their Supreme court petition is a joke, right? It is a two, it is, Two and a half pages of law. It cites to one case that they don't understand. Um, but in any event, um, here's the thing. Just appealing to the Supreme Court doesn't get you out of what the, the trial court wants you to do. The trial court, as we've talked about this in, in a number of other cases, um, can still let its judgment run while you're taking your appeal. And here that they, they moved on that Thursday. Hey, um, why don't you stop? Okay. We, we said, why don't you stop all this fines whatsoever? Uh, you said you, you, you told us politely to go pound sand. Um, how about you just put all that on hold while the Supreme court resolves our appeal. And the trial court was like, mm, 
how about you pound some more of that sand? <laughs> and again, brief filed on Thursday evening, decision in from the judge Friday morning. <laughs> like, this is somebody who uh, is uh, at at the end of her rope with uh, with Alex Jones's shenanigans. Um, Supreme Court, by the way, Connecticut Supreme Court uh, continues to just uh, say nothing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking, by the way, of before we get to comings and goings, because I just want to talk about a hilarious filing that just mm. happened today in the Trump versus the world. <laughs> Uh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad we get to talk about this. <laughs> glad this came out before we recorded. Uh, so it's a it's a it's an old friend of ours, right? This attorney who is who's basically filed a motion to get the judge thrown off the case. Can you know just to give everybody the background? You remember when Trump sued Hillary Clinton, Perkins Coie, Andy McCabe? Uh, the Bruce Orr and his wife and everybody, Pete Strzok and Lisa Page and Aunt, everybody, everyone in the world. He left. He, of course, Mary Trump and I were like, why, why aren't we in this lawsuit? We feel, <laughs> we feel left out. And we've actually we've actually contemplated suing Trump for not suing us for not suing you. Yeah, oh, that's, oh. Um, maybe maybe we could whip up some sort of cool little uh, mock lawsuit there. But uh, anyway, um, that's this particular lawsuit. And now the <laughs> Trump's attorney, one of them, uh, and I can't remember if it's the if it's the double wide attorney or if it's the park if it's the office park attorney, <laughs> but um, it's law eagles or whatever. Uh, but anyway, she filed a motion to get the judge thrown off the case. Can you talk about this? I can, and so <laughs> I do not know who the brains are behind this outfit. I my guess is. That it is Alina Haba, who uh, it, it, we haven't done a formal uh, soon soon to be disbarred league. Uh, but if we did, Alina Haba would be a first round pick, right? Like this is she's off the goddamn deep end uh, and, you know, put her name on the Trump versus the world lawsuit. I, I, I'm going to explain the entirety of the, quote, merits of the motion to disqualify Judge Middlebrooks. And it is. Judge Middlebrooks was appointed by Bill Clinton. And since Hillary Clinton is a defendant, uh, that means that there is an appearance of impropriety under 28 U.S.C. 455. This is a kind of a stupid thing to put in print, uh, because if that's your position, uh, then the case obviously cannot be assigned to a purse to a judge that the plaintiff appointed. Um, I, 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 the mind boggle it it doesn't matter right you could put this in front of uh, with a small sliver of the most politically minded pro trump hack idiots um you could put this in front of 80% of trump appointees and they would still say like yeah <laughs> thanks thanks don for the lifetime appointment uh, to the federal bench you're um you are completely crazy here look with uh, with perkins cooey on there <laughs> And a bunch of FBI guys who worked for multiple presidents. This You're is, never this, you. You can't. The nerve can be no judge. Yeah, yeah that, that's right. I mean, we could. Yeah, you want you want to find the like last living Reagan appointee that's on the federal bench. We could maybe do that. But well, you this know. judge wears black robes, and <laughs> one time Hillary Clinton wore a black 
gown to a, ga- a gala, so we're, we can't have this judge either. What, what I have to share with you is, though, so, all right, doofus of a lawyer files a doofus of a menu, right, uh, you know, dog bites man. Following, you know, the opening arguments, read the complaint backwards, I, I, I had not realized, nor had I done any work into the Ticton Law Group, which is uh, local counsel for Haba, Madeo and Associates, uh, that outstanding New Jersey firm of idiots, right? So you got to, this, because this lawsuit was filed in Florida, you got to get somebody who was admitted in Florida and oh, they like a hired. Oh, sponsor on the bar or whatever? Yeah, okay. yeah, you, you, yeah, and that is that is local counsel. And they move uh, to uh, have you admitted pro hoc vice. Uh, and that's how it works. So who is the Ticton Law Group PLLC from Deerfield Beach, Florida? Well, first, uh, you, you were very, very, I want to give you, you know, 60% credit for this. <laughs> Their website is, and I swear to God, I am not making this up. You go there right now, legalbrains.com. <laughs> so yes, their official email address on filings is, you know, pticton at legalbrains.com or jsassen at legalbrains.com, which I just like makes me... I like you <laughs> and you like me and we like both the same. Legal Brains. Is it the law firm of Hafar and Amelmahay? <laughs> uh, uh, legal Brains is a divorce and personal injury law outfit but of course it is they're also insane and stupid right so uh when you go to legalbrains.com you are immediately greeted with something that looks like the better call Saul law firm gotta, from uh, go the breaking right bad days so you got to you got to go when it just just going to the web page is a delight because uh, you you are greeted by their strip mall law front uh, which again com. it is not the uh delightful uh nail salon but it is you know once saul is in his you know statue of liberty themed uh law office it looks like it looks exactly like this and, so, the, and the second picture is a guy who's just taken his glasses off yeah <laughs> that that's a power move then uh, you get into by the way four partners unlike boutique firms uh, by the way, when you have four partners, you're a boutique firm. Our attorneys possess a diverse <laughs> range of backgrounds and experience in many fields of law. Our f- <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. Our firm is equipped to handle everything from mortgage foreclosure defense to personal injury and everything in between. We're also known for taking cases that don't fall squarely within conventional boundaries. And I suspect I know why you're giggling if you want to share that with our audience. Sure, sure. There's these little squares, right, with <laughs> photos that you, when you hover over it, flips around. So like on, on personal injury, where it shows a car hitting another car, it flips around and says, although most personal injury cases are resolved outside of court, the adjusters who work for the dot, 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 read more, right? Well, they have, they have one for personal injury, employment law, general litigation with the Supreme Court uh, photo, <laughs> mortgage foreclosure defense, uh, intellectual property law, don't lose control of your right to use your idea, uh, business debt relief, entertainment law, the experienced attorneys of the Ticton Law Group are equipped to assess with all your entertainment needs, family law, business law, and finally, <laughs> recreational vehicle problems. Recreational vehicle 
problems. I, 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 I have to say. And then directly below that we do RV law is occupying the cutting edge of the law. Like it's certainly uh, this 1987 Toyota cab over camper. Uh, when I look Made at the wood. picture that's on there, yeah, <laughs> strikes me as the cutting edge of the law. It, it's it, a, when this, you click on read more, by the way, it says, do you have a problem with your RV dealer or RV manufacturer? <laughs> if you do, you need the right lawyer. And that is the Ticton Law Group. We know how to deal with these issues which arise, and we handle cases from bad repairs which cause fires to mold and bad deals. We really like sinking our teeth into the dishonest ones who lie, cheat, and steal from innocent customers. There are times in your life when you're just going to need a good lawyer. If this is one of those times, please complete the form below for a free consultation. <laughs> I, I, I think I want to say this, right? That, that if, and we can say this, this is, this is free good faith advertising for the Ticton Law Group. If you've ever had a problem with your recreational vehicle, I, they say they want to hear from you. So, you know. Five six one two three two 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 two. The Ticton Law Group. They want to hear all of your recreational vehicle stories. That's what their law page says. And so. there are three C's. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, these are bad lawyers. I mean, look, I shouldn't even say these are bad lawyers. Who the hell knows? They may be fantastic at slip and fall and auto accident cases. They've certainly Dur- hired. They've got an RV expert. <laughs> they got. They uh, yeah. I, it, The idea that this group of circus clowns could maintain a lawsuit against Hillary Clinton for destroying democracy in America or whatever it is that they've alleged, it is just it's 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 comical beyond words that can only be served. It only be done justice by. uh, by AG's excited giggles there. Have um, you been bitten I, by a dog? I, there is an entry that says, if you've been bitten by a dog in Florida. So if you've been bitten by a dog in Florida, or you're on the cutting edge of revealing the secret conspiracy that Hillary Clinton and the pedophiles use with the reverse vampires to occupy the basement of a hidden pizza parlor that doesn't have a basement where they rape children and uh, drink their sweet, sweet blood in order to get the adrenochrome that uh, powers their... Uh, there you go. Uh, that's... That's your group, the Ticton Law Group. Five six. Have you one. been in a boat accident? <laughs> two three two. I'm two two at two two. The, I'm looking oh. at the. Uh, I'm looking at the blog posts. <laughs> it's it is. Uh, I I will I will tell you. Shout out to uh, my buddy Andrew Seidel who was texting me literally as we were recording, and I'm like, Andrew, stop, shut up. Uh, and that just could not uh, stop laughing. Uh, it, it it is. <laughs> It is fractally crazy at every level of resolution. So when you click on the lead partner, you know, Peter Tickton here, um, his little blog entry around himself devolves into a, a kind of English in which grammar is optional. Um, it it makes claims that only only somebody who was sincerely deranged would make. So when I say that, you, you you're like, OK. That's a bold statement, Cotton. Like, let's see how he backs that up. He, here's what I will tell you. Uh, Tickton was practicing in Toronto, uh, excuse me, in Ontario, Canada, uh, moved to Florida, where in order to practice law, he was required to obtain a law degree from an ABA approved law school. So he attended the University of Miami for two years, graduated cum laude. Um, and, and by the way, like cum laude, that's that's with honors. That is that is good. Right. That's not, you know, with highest honors, but. 
anyway, was elected to the Order of the Coif, among other honors. His results, I, I want you to parse the sentence out for me. His results in the bar exams, okay, that there, there's, there's not multiple results, and they're uh, at least uh, in the past four decades, they have been pass-fail, but uh, who knows? It's possible. Led PMBR, a bar exam course, to use his name and score in its advertising. Now, when I say that only somebody who was truly deranged would make this claim, I, I, I should point out, I, I tried Googling that, right? If you Google PMBR, Ticton, you, you will get no results, right? Nothing that combines the two of them. I cannot find, verify that the story is true. I, I don't know as early as 1985, uh, but, but uh, soon thereafter, in every state, you did not receive a numerical score on your bar exam. Um, even if you did the idea, like you, you will not, if I knew my bar exam score, I would not tell you. Maybe right? he meant the LSATs. Who the fuck knows? <laughs> this is, this is, but, but yeah, I want to, but, but I just want to say like, you will not hear me talk about my LSAT scores. You will not hear me talk about my bar exam scores. You know why? Cause no one should give a shit what your bar exam scores are. Right. That, that. <laughs> Thomas is at 56%, right? Like it, it is, there is absolutely zero connection between your score on the bar exam and your ability to do anything other than take a multiple choice test and, and, and corresponding essay in which you regurgitate back the information that the test takers are looking for. That, 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 that this is, this would be like if but you Andrew, walked into. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. This is going to take a lot to bring me down off. But this. Andrew, it, it's only people who score really well on the bar exam that could make the blog post six things to never do while driving in Florida, which include <laughs> sleeping while you're driving, being uh, uh, drunk while sleep. you're driving. All right. Uh, drowsy driving. Don't being, drive in being, bad weather. Being drunk, so I can I can be nicely buzzed. Uh, that's that's okay. Uh, don't drive when you're sick. Okay. Okay. Uh, and uh, don't drive distracted. Now, now they do say if you know they do if you're sick, you're not yourself. You could feel drowsy. See drowsy driving. Um, <laughs> the, if you find yourself in the unfortunate predicament of being hurt in an auto accident, contact us. We handle cases on a contingency basis. There's like three spaces between two words here, meaning you don't pay us anything until we collect money for you. Uh, <laughs> Works on contingency? No. Money down. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, if you've done any of these things that you're not supposed to do, and this is only in Florida, by the way, you can yeah. drive drunk in other states. Well, I did. I would understand. I I don't want to. There's such a rich vein here that I don't want to beat up on somebody for not opining on the law of the state that he's not a member of the bar of. But I do want to. I, I I'm still not over. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm oh, and reluctantly, also don't speed. It says no speeding. That's, that's good advice. I, I reluctantly will move past the pretending that your bar exam score <laughs> led a bar exam company to talk about you in its marketing materials. That's bonkers. I want to read these sentences to you because a, a presumably a human being wrote them and not, you know, a monkey drawing balls at random out of a goldfish bowl. Quotes. Lawyers. This is how this begins. Lawyers were afraid to meet with a client with AIDS, comma, least have them come to their offices, period. Peter Tickton leading the way 
in redressing wrongs perpetrated on AIDS victims, period. Somebody thought that was a sentence. The movie Philadelphia, comma, was initially going to be called Miami, comma, except that Mr. Tickton's first AIDS client died just before his trial. The similar case in Philadelphia proceeded. Nevertheless, comma, Mr. Tickton changed the landscape. So I just want to point out, not only do bar exam companies use his exam scores for the bar exam and their marketing materials. But passed, he's the real Philadelphia. But he is Tom Hanks. He's mm. Philadelphia was going to be called Miami. <laughs> because that, What an unbelievably stupid thing to lie about. I mean, could, could you imagine what has to go through this little pin brain to come up with well, see, my case was going to go to trial, but it couldn't because my guy died. So, which, by the way, if you were a lawyer, you would recognize doesn't legally prevent you from bringing your case. I mean, you know, prevents you from having that witness on the stand, but you could use taped deposition testimony and, uh, you know, proceed on behalf of the estate. Anyway, my witness died, so it didn't happen. So it went forward in Philadelphia. And so then they related backward. But I bet they would have called the movie. Miami if my case had gone for like it he's like he was in negotiations with, with the, the for the movie rights before the trial I, what, who believes this shit who could possibly think that that represents leave leave aside the again uh, sub uh, you know the hominid level uh, grammar here who could possibly think that this story is true, right? This is the kind of thing that like crazy grandpa comes up with, like after you've been through the fourth bottle of wine at Thanksgiving. And he's like, actually, I was the inspiration for the movie Philadelphia. They, they were going to call it Upper Trenton. You didn't know that because my guy could go to trial because he's dead. Upper Trenton uh, from Jerry, Jerry Callow with a C. God, no. No, I was just picking a an <laughs> unlikely city at random here. Pacoima. Uh, they were gonna call it Pacoima. And Pacoima. <laughs> I Poughkeepsie. <laughs> what level of both That's so sad. Yeah, it really is. But now, hey, guess what? You get to represent the goddamn former president of the United States. I bet if we kept digging America. I bet if we kept uh, against another for former candidate for president. I, I, I bet if we kept digging there would be like I invented Long John's under cutoffs. Uh I, just like <laughs> other random claims to fame. <laughs> it can't be fact checked. <laughs> Uh, I give I give this is what being this is what the president the former president of the United States is reduced to that is hiring the divorce lawyer slash ambulance chaser who claims to have invented Philadelphia Uh, there you go thanks thanks by the way Uh, I invented (laughs) post-its I feel like you and I could do a good uh, modern remake of, of Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. That would right? be so great. That would be so Absolutely. great. Absolutely. Who gets yeah, to play Sandy Frank? Uh, we'll figure it out. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll audition patrons. Um, oh, there we go. Now, we should get, we've got, we've been talking here for about an hour and 10. We should get oh. to our comings and going segment. Should oh, we absolutely. Take a, take a quick break before we go? Yeah. All right, let's yeah. do that. Let's th- it might be a fake commercial, but let's throw one in anyway. Everybody, we'll be right back.
Oh, that was a fun block. Um, and and by the way, uh, the the reason we're sort of going unscripted here today is because we got a lot of positive feedback from you, the listener, saying that you really liked us unscripted. Sometimes means we'll go over time though. So uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And again, thanks to our patrons. We love you. Uh, participating in the Transgender Day of Visibility on Friday, March thirty first, the Biden administration announced several measures to make federal forms of identification more inclusive of transgender and non-binary Americans. And this is so great. In a release posted to the White House website, the administration said the Department of State would allow Americans to enter their gender as X on U.S. passport applications starting on April 11th. The White House has also announced changes to body scanners operated by TSA at the airports, you know, the thing where you put your hands up, and, uh, moving the scanners away from the current gender-based system, which the administration believes will reduce the number of false alarm rates and pat-downs. So, very cool. Uh, again, simple changes making real difference in the lives of real people. So, not just the administration itself, throughout the executive branch, changes are in action. So, you mentioned the TSA. The TSA has also updated its procedures to no longer consider gender when validating a traveler's identification at checkpoints. I'm sure we'll hear about how that's going to increase the risk of terrorism or whatever. It is in the process of adding the X gender marker to its pre-check program, and it is being instructed to work closely with airlines to ensure acceptance of the X gender marker. Yeah, and, and beyond Department of State, the Biden administration announced several programs to provide resources to transgender kids and their families. And it also announced programs to improve access uh, for transgender Americans to federal services and benefits like retirement savings, employment discrimination complaint, uh, and student aid. Yeah. And uh, DOJ issued a letter on Thursday to all state attorneys general reminding them of the federal constitutional and statutory provisions that protect transgender youth against discrimination. The Biden administration mentioned several efforts taken by the president to fight against discrimination. Um, and, uh, you know, and now here's here's the hard part. But, um, uh, you know, we got to we got to get to work on lobbying Joe Manchin uh, once again, called upon the Senate to pass the Equality Act, uh, which would provide federal civil rights protections to transgender and LGBTQI plus Americans and their families. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and boy, if, if that bill ever reaches the floor and we have to hear debate, I, I'm just going to change the channel when Marsha Blackburn comes on and Marjorie yeah. Taylor Greene, who said, I can define what women is. She, <laughs> she says, women, we came from Adam's rib and we are our husband's wives. Uh, there you go. Sure. Uh, finally, President Biden announced his intent to nominate super progressive. She's just yeah. so mm, today. She just really gets the kids. Um. <laughs> So POTUS announced his intent to nominate the following individuals to serve as key leaders. Robert Godek, nominee for ambassador uh, to Thailand. Vinay Singh, nominee for chief financial officer of the Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD. And uh, Kalpana uh, Kotegal, I believe I'm saying that. I hope I'm saying Mm -hmm. that right. Nominee for commissioner of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And that's a very important commission, a very important job. So So just doing work. Yep. Welcome, welcome all. Welcome one and all. Welcome aboard. And that is our show today. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out for an extra 15 minutes with us while, while, uh, while Andrew ranted well, about the I went on a rant about, I, I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. That, so. was a, that was a hell of a rabbit hole, that blog. <laughs> it's um, just so good. All right, we're going to start all over it. again if we don't go. So, yeah, you're right. You're uh, right. We, got, we got to go always 
I love doing the show with you, Allison. I hope we get to do it forever. Yes, hope so too. And uh, we'll be back next week. Also, in the meantime, check out Opening Arguments and the Daily Beans podcast. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. <laughs> <laughs>